All right, welcome back to the Ken Pittman Show. Paul Santos filling in this week on your Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM and 99.5 FM. Our thanks to our first guest, Ms. Murphy, a special education teacher at New Bedford High School, talking about elimination of the MCAS. We now move into hour number two. We have an all-star lineup today, and our next guest is no stranger in the community. He is well-known as an attorney. He's also well-known as a former member of the New Bedford School Committee and perhaps best known as being a political analyst over the last few years. We welcome to our microphones Mr. Tom Hunt. Hey, Tom. Paul. Thank you very much for inviting me here today. Well, it's great to have you. You know, you and I have been working together now for, I don't know, the past couple of decades on election night here in New Bedford. We even did a Fall River race one year, which was a lot of fun. So election night is always interesting. I know you're somebody that enjoys politics, so we thought this time of the year with Super Tuesday right around the corner, we'd have you come by and chat politics. Well, I'm happy to be here. Well, you know, they have a lawyer's room over at New Bedford District Court, and when I see Tom Hunt in the lawyer's room, I'd always say, Tom, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, you know, nine times out of ten, your prognostications seem to fit the future. So I always thought that was impressive. Well, uh, you know, I tried to do a little bit of research. And there's a couple of folks in the community I speak with. And they come from all different sizes, shapes, colors, ages. And they give me their thoughts, and I incorporate those thoughts into uh, my predictions. And, and so far, um, um, you're right. It's, it's, it's been about 95%. 95%. Wow. So you can make a commercial, Tom Hunt, 95% accurate. You know, like the heavy hitter or something like that? <laughs> yeah, I think I'll pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to talk a little bit of politics here. Um, you know, actually, the first thing I wanted to ask you was we just had a guest on, and I think she was obviously presenting the position in favor of eliminating the MCAS. And I think most of our callers were in favor of eliminating the MCAS as a graduation requirement in New Bedford High School. And I'm looking at a survey, a poll seems to support that most of the population agrees with eliminating the MCAS as a graduation requirement. You were on the school committee. Do you have any thoughts on that issue? I'm opposed to eliminating it. Okay. What's your and reason? Let me tell you why. Uh, I go back to a day when New Bedford lawyers, before they hired a secretary right out of high school, would have to give her a spelling test because a high school diploma didn't really mean anything. I think we should have standards. I think we should have high standards. Um, um, I had the honor of flying to Washington, D.C. with Mayor Brian Walla and um, headmaster Ted Cownan to accept the Academic Award of Excellence from President Reagan in um, 1985 for New Bedford High School. Um, I did hear your previous speaker, and I think she made some valid points, particularly about uh, uh, youngsters arriving in this country on a Tuesday, uh, not being able to speak English and expected to pass a test on Friday in English, and perhaps, perhaps even some accommodation should be allowed to uh, special needs youngsters. But no, I, 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 if I were still a member of the school committee, I would vote against um, uh, the elimination of MCAS as a graduation requirement, and I intend to vote against it if it makes it to the ballot this November. Now, when you said you went down and accepted a, an award with Ted Kalnan 
in Washington when you were on the school committee. Now that I would imagine that would have been pre MCAS, right? Oh yes, that was uh, 1985. I think MCAS came in in the mid 1990s. Um, I think it's important to point out that uh, this ballot question, assuming it gets the requisite number of signatures, which it probably will, um, only eliminates uh, MCAS as a graduation requirement. It doesn't eliminate MCAS, although certainly if this is successful, um, many people expect there will be a push to eliminate MCAS entirely. Um, no, I, 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 I'm not in favor of it. All right, one more question with regard to MCAS. So when you went down and got that award for excellence, that was prior to the MCAS. So the educational system, the argument could go, was successful without it at that time. So couldn't it be successful without it now? Well, that's certainly uh, the counter-argument. But again, I, I feel that we should have not just standards in our schools, but we should have high standards in our schools. And um, the only way I'm aware of of measuring stu uh, high school A versus high school B is through the MCAS scores. All right, uh, Tom Hunt is a political analyst, a local attorney, good friend of mine. We work together on election night. If you have any questions for Tom or myself, give us a call here at 508-996-0500. One of the local issues that I wanted to come up with here is uh, Mayor Mitchell proposing the recall process for electorate officers, both mayor, uh, councilors at large, ward councilors. And it looks like a fairly complicated system, so it's not something that would be used willy-nilly. But it is something that is being proposed by Mayor Mitchell, the recall process. We haven't had that in New Bedford. They did have it in Fall River. I don't know where I stand on this. I'm kind of still formulating my position. I'm kind of coming out from the gate like a little bit reluctant to jump on board. But I could be persuaded. But let's see what Tom Hunt thinks. Do you think there should be some kind of a recall process? Yes. And quite frankly, I and I think almost everyone else was surprised that there isn't one right now. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Fall River has one. Uh, Mayor Flanagan was recalled. Uh, Sam Sutter was elected in that election. Uh, Jason Correa was not recalled. Uh, uh, he was, I guess, both recalled and reelected in the same election. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, ward councillors and at-large councillors. As I read the statute as proposed by the mayor to go to the city council and then from the city council to the legislature as a home rule petition, I think it's all uh, uh, elected officials, including assessor and school board members. So yes, I, I, I'm in favor of it. I understand uh, from the legislation proposed that it's gonna be a very high standard uh, and like yourself, I don't think someone should be recalled because they take a controversial point of view. I think we want our elected officials to take controversial points of view if they feel that's in the best interest of the city. And I don't think people should be afraid to take the, on those issues. Well, Mayor Mitchell yesterday wrote the following, and I quote, while I believe that the recall of an elected officer should be an extraordinary remedy, I also believe that it is prudent to have a recall process so that voters can protect themselves against an egregious breach of the public trust. Your thoughts? Sure, and, and I agree with that. Um, uh, and I think it's important to all remember that uh, 
a few years back, the mayoral term went from two years uh, to four years. Um, um, so, you know, we have four years for school board members, four years for mayor, six years for an assessor. So, yes, I, I favor that proposed legislation. It looks like for a ward officer, you need 100 voters of the ward initiate the recall by petitioning or actually filing an affidavit with the Board of Election Commissioners, which would then issue the recall petition blanks. The blanks must be returned within 45 days and contain signatures from at least 15% of the ward's registered voters. And then for at large and for mayor, 600 voters have to initiate the process and then 15% of those registered voters across the city You'd have to get those signatures and so forth. So not an easy process, and you don't want it to be an easy process. Oh, you absolutely don't. And uh, uh, you want it to be done in extraordinary circumstances uh, when there has been a breach of the public trust. Uh, you don't want it done because someone takes an unpopular position. Um Let's face it, at one time it was popular in this country to deny women the right to vote. Um, fortunately, that's no longer the case. Um, but to take a position against the popular wave, in my judgment, is not something to be criticized, but to be applauded. We've never had this before, this recall procedure, and I know in Fall River they had it. And I don't know, it seemed like just from watching it from New Bedford, a point of view across the highway here, uh, it seemed like it turned into a little bit of a circus, you know. Now, in that situation, it all depends on how it's crafted. But I remember in Fall River, we had the awkward situation where the first vote was, do you want to remove the mayor? And then the second vote was, who do you want to put in there? And there was nothing that prevented you from writing back in the person you just removed. And it created this... I don't know, this chaotic kind of a situation. Now, I am sure that this proposal doesn't have anything like that, but I just remember thinking how absurd that is, that the first vote is, are you going to take away Mayor Hunt, and then who are you going to put in? Well, you can put in Mayor Hunt, you can put in Mayor so-and-so, you can put in, I mean, if you're going to take the person out, how could you vote to put him back in? Well, uh, as you recall, we were in Far River City Hall that night um, uh, sharing the results of that election, uh, and uh, if you recall, a writer for the New York Times actually stopped by our, our studio. And, and this, that situation actually had national uh, repercussions. But that was a result of a Superior Court judge's interpretation of a very poorly drafted recall ordinance that went into the Fall River City Code. The... Um, uh, Superior Court Judge, I believe it was Thomas McGuire, said that as he read the uh, uh, statute, as he read the ordinance, there was nothing to prohibit, as you said, uh, Mayor Hunt from being recalled and then Mayor Hunt being reelected. Uh, hopefully, um, the drafters of uh, this legislation, as proposed by Mayor Mitchell, have, have cured that problem. All right, we're talking to political analyst Tom Hunt. If you'd like to get in on the discussion, 508-996-0500. You're listening to The Ken Pittman Show. Paul Santos filling in here at 1420, New Bedford's news talk station, WBSM, or also on 99.5 FM. I got to tell you, I'm not sure about this process. I could be persuaded. I will say that. You know, I'm looking at a city council, right? You're talking about two years. And I know what you feel about the four-year mayor. Well, let me ask you that question first. Did you like the idea of the mayor's term going to four years? I did, yes. 
See, I didn't like it. I know John liked it. I know he proposed it. He talked about how bigger cities, I believe, like Springfield and Worcester, have the four-year mayor. Of course, uh, Boston had the four-year mayor. But here's the argument, right? And I want to get your thoughts on this. The argument is, well, you become mayor, you know, you're mayor only two years. You're really thinking about re-election right away. You really don't have time to establish what you're trying to do. You're thinking about being re-elected because the term is so short. Well, if you keep it at two years, or if you kept it at two years, then I would argue, well, why do we need the recall? Because every two years, you're going to be up for re-election. And even a city councilor, like say one city councilor, uh, unless they were being put in jail or there's some kind of a crime or something like that, um, it seems to me that two years comes up pretty quickly, which was the whole idea of having the four-year mayor in the first place. So if we had just left the mayor at two years and the city council is all at two years, it comes up so quickly that why would we have to need a special election before that when the next election is coming up so quick? Well, because it wasn't kept as two years in the mayor's term. It is now four years. And as I mentioned, with school board members, it's four years. And with assessor, it's six years. And, you know, I think we all know that uh, New Bedford has a type B type government, which invests a tremendous amount of power in the mayor's office. Um, and I think that, that for that reason and for the four-year term reason, that's why this legislation is needed. All right. Tom makes a very persuasive case. What do you think? You think you should have a recall provision? I know that there was a an attempt to put on the ballot term limits. I don't know if Tom has a thought on term limits. Do you think that term limits is a good idea for these local positions? Well, I term limited myself. I served three terms, and I think most people familiar with the situation back then felt I could have been elected, re-elected, and perhaps even re-elected easily to a fourth term, but I thought that uh, three terms was enough. Um, you know, yes, I, I think I think perhaps uh, if we're talking uh, a, a two-year term for a city councilor, I think, I think six terms is enough. All right, Tom Hunt is our guest, and this is Paul Santos filling in for Ken Pittman. If you'd like to get in on the discussion, 508-996-0500. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Paul Santos filling in for Ken Pittman this morning on the Ken Pittman Show. We're having a great time as usual. We've had a number of guests this morning, and the guest sitting here right now is political analyst Tom Hunt. Glad to have him joining the discussion here this morning, and if you'd like to join too, our number is 508-996-0500. Okay, let's talk a little bit about, if we can, although we're keeping it local for the most part, we did want to get in a little bit about the election coming up here, and it is local in the sense that we're all going to the polls, or at least those of us who want to do our civic duty are going to go to the polls a week from Tuesday for Super Tuesday, which encompasses a whole litany of states voting in the presidential primary and some other local state races. And the question I want to ask Tom Hunt, you know, the system that we have here seems to... I don't know. It seems to be unfair to a state like Massachusetts. You know, somebody runs for president. 
The first thing is the Iowa caucus, which isn't even a primary. It's a caucus, you know, so that procedure is different. Then you go to the New Hampshire primary. And by the time you get to Super Tuesday in Massachusetts, your candidate could potentially not even be in the race anymore. So I give an example like this year. We have an incumbent Democratic president, right? Some years we have an incumbent Republican president. So in this particular situation, it's the Republicans really, obviously the sitting president is going to be the nominee, whoever it is, 90% of the time. On the other side, in this particular case, we have the Republicans, right? So let's say, for example, you want to vote for, say, Governor DeSantis, a governor of Florida, a popular governor of Florida. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to vote for DeSantis when my turn comes around. Well, by the time Massachusetts comes around in the Super Tuesday, he's not even there anymore. He got eliminated by Iowa and New Hampshire. How is that fair? That seems to me kind of a bizarre system. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bizarre system. It's complicated by the fact that under New Hampshire law, New Hampshire must be the first primary state uh, in the country. Uh, you're quite right. Iowa is a caucus state. And you're quite right. If you were a fan of former Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey or former Vice President Mike Pence, uh, their name won't be appearing on the ballot uh, a week from Tuesday. So it is sort of a bizarre system. Um, but somehow, somewhere, it seems to work okay. I mean, there was, there's very little doubt that uh, Pre President uh, Biden will be uh, uh, re-nominated re by the Democratic Party unless he withdraws from the race, which is extraordinarily unlikely. And it's extremely likely that former President Trump will be the Republican nominee. So somehow this, as you call it, this unusual crazy system seems to whittle down to uh, the candidates who um, their party feels best represents their point of view. But if you have a candidate that, say, is very popular in Massachusetts, very popular in California, very popular in South Carolina, very popular in Michigan, or some of these states that are going to vote on Super Tuesday, but not particularly popular in Iowa, not particularly popular in New Hampshire... Uh, they may not get the traction because they come out of Iowa week or they come out of New Hampshire week. Maybe they don't get the fundraising ability, which is a big thing coming out of those early states. So it just seems to be, number one, it's unfair to the candidates. And number two, it's unfair to people like you and me who live in Massachusetts because we don't get to vote until after a lot of the candidates are eliminated. Uh, Paul, you've used the word unfair in, politi in politics in the same <laughs> sentence. Uh, <laughs> let me suggest to you that that's, that's, that's not the way to go. Um, <clears throat> you know, you're right. But, you know, Iowa is a Midwestern state. It is a caucus. New Hampshire is a New England state. It is an open primary, which is to say uh, independent voters are uh, unenrolled voters, as they're officially called, can vote. Um, and then the the campaign goes south to South Carolina. So somehow, somewhere, it usually seems to work where the person uh, uh, most compatible with the issues of their party seems to get the nomination. Well, we got Super Tuesday coming up on 
Tuesday, a week from Tuesday, actually, where Massachusetts votes with a number of other states. Do you know some of the states off the top of your head? Uh, if I could ask you that, I know I'm putting you on the spot. I think it's like eight or ten states, right? Yeah, I think, and I think there's a different number between Republicans and uh, Democratic states. Uh, my understanding is it's Texas, Michigan, uh, not California. That's much later. Uh, perhaps Georgia, uh, but a fair fairly good number of states with a fairly good number of what of of delegates to the conventions this summer um i believe that after today after the south carolina primary uh nikki haley will be for all intents and purposes eliminated as a serious candidate for the republican nomination she may stick around um through march 5th but but I think today is really the death knell for her. I got a question for you. What about the Electoral College? Well, it's engrossed in the Constitution of the United States, and it says that uh, the candidate who gets the most electoral votes, you have to get a minimum of 270 out of the 538, is the president, is the president of the United States. Um, in 2016... Donald Trump lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton by 3 million votes. In 2000, George Bush lost the popular vote to Al Gore by half a million. And as all of us who follow this type of stuff know, um, in 1888, a sitting president of the United States was defeated for re-election even though he won the popular vote. That, of course, was Grover Cleveland. Um, it's very hard to change the federal constitution. It's much easier to change the constitution of the state of Massachusetts. Um, the federal constitution has to be changed by a vote of two-thirds of both the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, along with three-quarters of the states. Well, the division in Washington is such that they can't even agree what day of the week it is much less voting on something on a two-thirds basis. So I think we're, we're, we're going to have the electoral college for a while. Well, I find it interesting because I think the conservatives and the Republicans like the electoral college because it favors them. And the Democrats and the liberals don't like the electoral college because it doesn't favor them. I think that's how it lays out. And I can guarantee you that the Republicans out there, and I know you're out there, that are defending the Electoral College, if your candidate won the popular vote and lost the electoral vote, you would be on the other side so quickly your head would spin. But the reason why I bring this up, Tom, is because, you know, I, I'm a citizen. I believe in voting. I believe in participating, right? So here I am, a resident of Massachusetts, and my vote in the preliminary election, whether I'm a Democrat or Republican, pretty much means absolutely nothing. And then when you get to the finals in November, again, my vote means absolutely nothing because Massachusetts is a blue state. So unless you live in Michigan or Georgia or Nevada or Arizona or one of those swing states, my vote means nothing, both in the preliminary and in the final. So we're always complaining about, well, you know, people ought to vote more and the, the turnout is down. I mean, the turnout is down even in local elections, so I guess you can't blame that. But as far as this election here, I really feel like I'm just a spectator. I'm just sitting on the sideline. My vote means nothing in the preliminary or in the final. And I don't think that's right. I think they ought to go to the popular vote. I think they ought to have a national primary day. And then everybody gets to participate on the same day. What do you think? 
Oh, I would agree with that. I, I just don't think that's going to happen in our lifetime. No. And uh, to say your vote is not important, I would just cite you to the 2000 election where uh, Governor George Bush defeated Vice President Al Gore by 537 votes in the state of Florida. And had Florida gone to Al Gore, uh, uh, Vice President Gore would have been elected president. Would that have changed anything in terms of the, you know, Iraqian war, um, Operation Freedom? Who knows? Yeah, well, probably would have. Uh, but, you know, it just, I mean, we got Super Tuesday coming up. It's a week from Tuesday. I mean, I'm not advocating that people shouldn't vote. I think people should vote. And, hey, look, Massachusetts is a blue state right now. Massachusetts voted for Reagan. You know, the Reagan Democrats back in whatever year that was, 1980. So, you know, it is possible that, you know, states can change. I mean, I remember when Florida was kind of a swing state. Not anymore. Florida's a red state. The swing states tend to be, and I'll list them right here, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and to some degree, North Carolina. But really, it's probably less than that. It's probably a few less states than the ones I just listed but unless you live in those states you know if you live in one of those states you're going to be like okay i got to get to the polls this and that but massachusetts very clearly according to the polls probably two to one in favor of president biden so you know there's no way the republicans going to carry massachusetts and so if i'm a republican i'm like well i'm going to vote and if a democrat i'm going to vote but really it doesn't feel like my vote is going to carry a lot of weight when you are in a state that's all blue or all red sure but uh let's not forget there are other election on the ballot, well, yes. there's state senate, there's state representative, there's governor's council, there's county commissioner. Uh, on the Tuesday, uh, March 5th, Super Tuesday, there are members uh, of the to be elected for members of the Democratic uh, city, Democratic town and ward committees. So, you know, I, 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 I think there's a reason to vote in every election. Now, something interesting has happened. we got a couple of well-known legislators at the state level and in our community that are not running for re-election. One in the Taunton area and one, I think, what is it, Westport? Yes, Representative Schmidt is from Westport, although a significant portion of his legislative district is uh, southern Fall River. And Mark Pacheco out of Taunton. Mark Pacheco out of Taunton, who has a very interesting district. It's not only... Taunton, obviously, but it's Marion, it's Rochester. I believe, I believe small segments of uh, Freetown and Wareham and, of course, the city of Taunton. So if you could get a Republican coming out of Taunton who has some ability to both raise money, and my understanding is a female Republican member of the Taunton City Council has indicated she will be running uh, that may not necessarily be a slam dunk uh, victory for the Democrats. It is a presidential year. Uh, more people vote in presidential years than non-presidential years. Uh, more Democrats vote in presidential years than non-presidential years. But, you know, that would be that's going to be an interesting situation. Our local delegation, you know, the people that are representing the New Bedford area, Dartmouth, Fairhaven, Akushnet, Lakeville, Freetown, do not appear to be in any kind of jeopardy. Oh, I would say not. I, 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 I would say not. Um, uh, certainly Chris Markey in Dartmouth uh, is very popular, as is Bill Strauss down in 
Matt Poisett, and of course, Senator Montigny is now one of the longest-serving members of the state Senate. Now, you know, these people that you mentioned, a lot of them, as you said, are very popular. Um, they've been there for a while. Um, we did kind of touch a little bit on term limits. You wouldn't necessarily be against term limits. That's something that you, you might look at that you could be persuaded to think about. I think I could easily be persuaded to think about it. You know, uh, we sometimes have uh, voluntary term limits where people say, I promised the voters I would serve five terms and I'm going to keep my word. Uh, more frequently, it's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's something I would consider, sure. All right, we're listening to Tom Hunt here. He's a political analyst, an attorney, and a friend of mine here on 1420 WBSM. He's going to be our guest until 11 o'clock. If you'd like to chime in or ask him a question about local politics or even, you know, the national election that's coming up, we do encourage you to vote. And even though I said what I said, I'm still going to vote on that Tuesday because I think it's important to have your vote count. We have local elections that we have to deal with. We have the national election. And, you know, the numbers that come out of our state is still good to look at and, you know, makes a statement to where Massachusetts stands on the national landscape. So you absolutely should vote. Vote in both the primary and the final election in November. And, of course, Super Tuesday coming up, the preliminary or primary election a week from Tuesday. So get out there and vote and let your voice be heard. And when we come back, we we're talking about how Tom has had some pretty good success predicting what's going to happen in the future. So if you're wondering what's going to happen both in the fall and in the final election in November, well, we're going to find out from Tom in just a few minutes. You're listening to The Ken Pittman Show here at WBSM. We'll be right back. Listening to the Ken Pittman Show here on 1420 WBSM, New Bedford's news talk station. Paul Santos filling in this morning. Our guest is attorney Tom Hunt. He is a political analyst, and we're talking politics. Remember, you have to vote Super Tuesday coming a week from Tuesday. So head out to the polls and make your voice heard. We do have a call here, so let's go to the call right now. Good morning. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Hi, how are you? All right. I'd like to bring it back to the uh, four-year mayor. I think that's a disastrous mistake. You want to get people to vote. You want to get interest in elections. And you get a mayor in, in a strong form of city government that's in for four years that doesn't have to look over his or her shoulder. Okay? Uh, it, it really takes people out of, the, out of the equation. It's a check and balance on the mayor. And I think Mr. Hunt will agree, if you do your job, you get reelected. All right. And to have four years that the mayor can turn around and thumb his nose at you because he doesn't have to worry about you for four years is a, is a big mistake. I think former Mayor Lang uh, came out against the four-year term, but he was a little late in it. And, uh, you know, the president administration was able to get it through. Uh, if you want to get people out to vote, you've got to give them a reason. And certainly uh, being able to vote on them every two years would be a reason. You know, the old saying, kiss, you've got to keep it simple, stupid, okay? And to have all these different things and recalls, which can be uh, a tool to, 
you know, work one way or the other. Uh, it, it just makes it too complicated. And uh, I, I'm not, term limits, I'm not necessarily in favor of term limits. Uh, you know, again, if you can get people out to vote, uh, you know, that'll limit people if they're not doing the job. Uh, we've had a lot of people hang around for a long time. Uh, and again, un- unfortunately, what happens then, it, it seems to be more about maintaining power than serving the people when you have these long terms. Uh, if it's a, it's a small city, it's not the size of Boston. And, uh, okay. you know, I, I, one, other, one last thing, too, this idea now that the mayor wants to clean up the charter because you have a four-year mayor, but only a secession thing that deals with a two-year mayor, I think that kind of invalidates the whole idea of the four-year mayor. I think, it's, to me, that sounds like an illegal thing that was passed. Now, you guys are lawyers. You can, you know, reflect on that better than I can. All right, let's get Tom's response. So I think what the caller is getting at in his last comments is the fact that uh, if a mayor is uh, elected for four years, as John Mitchell was last November, and then tomorrow uh, is offered a position, high position, with the Department of Justice and takes it, uh, uh, will the uh, person who succeeds him serve only one year to the next uh, city election in 2025 or serve until 2027, the expiration of Mayor Mitchell's term. And there's been some discussion about that. Uh, So I think this legislature is designed to clean that up also and make it clear that uh, uh, there would have to be a special election uh, if the mayor were to leave uh, within two years of first being elected. In terms of uh, the caller's other comments, um, um, I I sort of kind of uh, see his point of view. Uh, In Boston, the mayor has a four-year term, but the city councils have two-year terms. And the percentage of people who vote in the two-year city council years is significantly below that who vote in the... uh, mayoral four-year term so i think one can say that a four-year mayoral term uh can somewhat suppress the uh uh turnout in the two-year term uh, paul there's never been such a thing as a perfect piece of legislation uh in fact some would say that when everyone disagrees what's voted out uh, that is a perfect piece of legislation. Right, but I think uh, the caller and I sort of agree that I didn't like the four-year mayor. It doesn't sound like he likes the four-year mayor, but you kind of like the four-year mayor. What's the thing that you like about having the four-year term? Well, because it's four years. Because you have a chance to get your own people appointed um, uh, to jobs. Um, you have a chance to implement your own uh, uh, viewpoint on certain things. If you get elected in November and defeat the incumbent mayor, you're living with that mayor's budget through June 30th. And, you know, if you're up for re-election the following November, essentially you're having a a 14-month mayoral term. Uh, I I simply think that it would be better and is better for a four-year term, but I appreciate other people's points of view. Right, Carl, let me ask you something, because I think you and I line up a little bit on this, right? To go from the two-year mayor to the four-year mayor and then say, well, it's not long enough uh, to find out what's going on, 
but then we're still going to put in a, a recall. Well, then what's the point of having the four-year mayor in the first place? Because two years is such a short time, we don't need a recall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, again, uh, you know, to me, it's taken away power from the people, too. In okay. other words, if the mayor has two years to do things, then he's, he or she has to perform, okay? Mm-hmm. And again, I think in the past, most mayors, when they've done the job, have had no problem in getting uh, uh, reelected. Uh, we have, in Mayor Mitchell, a hardworking mayor. I, I don't agree with him on some things. I agree with him on other things, like trying to keep, for example, uh, the federal building downtown. Uh, I would hope that every politician in the area would write a letter along with his uh, to the powers that be about keeping that down here. We're a major city in Massachusetts, and we uh, deserve having that service here. <laughs> the fact that, too, it's uh, the Hastings-Keith building, a former uh, representative to Congress from this area for a long time, uh, has some significance in my mind, too. Okay, But uh, I would hope that the local state legislat- uh, legislatures, uh, legislators would write something uh, to the powers that be about why it's important to keep that there. I would hope the mayor could get his friend, uh, the governor, to write something about keeping that there for services for the people from this area who might not be easily able to go to Taunton or Fall River. And why should we have to go to Taunton or Fall River uh, to get, uh, you know, uh, services from the federal government? You know, so I think the mayor is absolutely right on that. Uh, But, uh, again, if you want people to be involved and you're not concerned about power but concerned about serving the people, I think the two-year term uh, for office for the mayor is fine. You do, you know, as Bill Belichick says, just do your job. You do your All job. right. Thank you very Thank much you. for the call. We appreciate okay, it. my friends. Yeah, Thanks. bye-bye. All right. So, Tom, he touched on something else there, the federal building downtown. I was unfortunate that the building is leaving. I believe that the mayor and the city delegation, of course, vehemently oppose it. But then the question is, what can you do about it to get the governor involved, kind of get some people involved? But it is a, a federal government building, so it's a federal government decision, I would imagine. Right. I'm not sure the building is leaving. I think the tenants in the building, right. which are all federal agencies, uh, may be leaving. And, and that makes absolutely no sense to me. There's a Social Security office there. Uh, most of the people in the waiting room are there to file a disability claim. Um, uh, and so to make them go to Taunton, which is clearly an inferior city to New Bedford in terms of population, makes no sense to me so i think the idea would be to keep it as a federal building if we have tenants there that uh, don't need to be there fine let's bring in other tenants that should be there uh particularly uh, dealing with fisheries and one more thing uh whether the building whatever happens to the building can we please get rid of that god-awful sundial (laughs) monument in front of it uh it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we could do a whole show on that. <laughs> that thing, I remember when that thing was put in, it was pretty controversial. If you're a younger person, you may not remember that, but I remember when that thing went in there and people were like, what was that? What is that? I guess we have a certain appreciation for art maybe, but I don't know. It's been there for a long time. They've never taken it down. Well, if you go to other countries, uh, particularly Canada, you'll see an awful lot of outdoor sculpture, outdoor monuments. And this is, you know, uh, Everyone should be able to appreciate a museum piece without having to have to pay an outrageous fee to get inside. I don't know what that is. They call it a sundial. To me, it looks like a, uh, well, I won't say what it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. If you want to join the discussion in our final few minutes with Tom Hunt, 508-996-0500. I did want to touch briefly on the presidential race. We're trying to do local stuff here. But on the presidential race, just looking at the swing states, I listed them before, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, the states that are really going to decide it in order to get to the 270 electoral votes. As it stands right now, President Trump is leading President Biden in every single swing state. Now, the Democrats will say, well, you know, the thing hasn't really got traction yet. You know, there's a lot going on. President Trump has legal issues, so on and so forth. But really, to be be behind in every single swing state seems to me like a little bit of an uphill climb there for President Biden. What do you think? Uh, CNN has a fabulous electoral map. Uh, right now, they have President Biden at 272 electoral votes, two more than needed. And they have come up with that 272 figure by combining the states that he is guaranteed to win Louisiana Mississippi. You're talking about President Biden. No, I'm talking about President Trump. Uh, Trump, okay, because you said Biden. Okay, go ahead. Okay, and 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 the states that he is leading in. Uh, put another way, President Biden can win every state he's significantly leading in. Can win every state he is um, slightly leading in. Can win every toss-up state and still loses the election. The only way that. President Biden is going to defeat President Trump, in my opinion, would be to take one of the states that Trump is only slightly leading in, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina. And I think if he takes, as has been suggested, United States Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina on the ticket, I think you can check those states off as going to President Trump. I think the Democratic Party needs to have a reality check, understand that we have a very soon-to-be 82-year-old president who is absolutely evidencing cognitive decline. And I think, you know, the Democrats need to take a stand on that. You know, one of the things I don't understand, right? I mean, obviously, it it does come down to, you know, the pro-Trump, anti-Trump people out there, right? So we definitely have that. But the issue I find interesting is that, okay, Biden became president. He's wanted to become president since, I think, 1980 when he first started running, right? He's been running for president for years. I remember him in that primary way back with Ted Kennedy and all the Democrats out there. Okay. So he finally became president, right? He served vice president of Obama all those years. Now he becomes president, right? Comes president at the age of, what, it was a 77 or 78 he could have easily got in there and say, hey, you know what, two years into the thing, three years into the thing, hey, look, you know, I just wanted to come in here, kind of get things back to normal in terms of, you know, the political dialogue and so on and so forth, put some of my policies through, some of his policies have passed Congress, he's worked with uh, a lot of uh, bipartisan legislation, you know, roads and bridges and stuff like that behind the scenes. Maybe he doesn't present himself too well out front, but behind the scenes, supposedly, he still works with a lot of people that he's worked with over the years on both sides of the aisle. Okay, great, great, great. Why not just say, hey, you know, I'm going to do this for one term. Thank you very much. And then goes off into the sunset. And probably, I mean, the Republicans wouldn't agree, but some of the Democrats would say, hey, you know, that's a successful uh, president there, the one year, one uh, term president. And then get some younger person in there, because I think a young, a strong, young moderate not, not somebody on the far left wing, you know, somebody that's a moderate Democrat, like a traditional, you know, Robert Kennedy, not not Robert Kennedy Jr., but I mean, like, you know, your 60s classic liberal, Hubert Humphrey kind of liberal, uh, not some of the far uh, wing that we have now. 
uh, could go in there and defeat President Trump. What do you think? Well, you're probably right, Paul, uh, but there's two points counter to that. One is, as you said, uh, President uh, Biden has been spending the last 25 years running for president. He ran against Michael Dukakis in 88. He had to withdraw from that race uh, when when uh, information was developed about him uh, plagiarizing uh, other politician speeches and going back into law school. He ran against uh President, uh, then U.S. Senator Barack Obama in 2008. So I think this has been a lifelong goal for him, and I don't think it's something he's going to easily give up. And then the second point is um, I'm not sure the Democrats have anybody out there mm -hmm. uh, based on the criteria you tell me. Okay. Um, so we got about a minute left. Prediction time. Who is going to be the next president of the United States? Donald Trump. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, the polls are with you right now. I got to tell you, that, that may seem like an easy prediction now, but I'm going to go back to maybe 2015. Tom was on my television show back then called New Bedford Connections, and Trump came down the escalator, and he went in there in the primaries, and you had uh, Jeb Bush, and you had a whole bunch of, like, traditional kind of establishment Democrats who really thought Trump was going to be some kind of a joke. He just went up there and said whatever he wanted off the top of his head. And Tom Hunt was one of the first ones that said, He's going to get the nomination, <laughs> and he certainly did. He, his style of, of debating was, was kind of a breath of fresh air to, I think, the common man, whether you like him or not, you know? Well, he's certainly different. Uh, you, got a, I, you got about 20 seconds. I, 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 I he's give, different. I, I give him credit for that. Um, it seems like no matter what he says... Go ahead, finish your thought. No matter what he says, no matter the 91 indictments... He's still up there in the polls. Tom Hunt, political analyst, thank you very much. We'll be thank back you, with Paul. more on WBSM. WBSM and W258DR New Bedford. New Bedford's news talk station, 1420 AM and 99.5 FM. WBSM, a town square media 